Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Because children cannot help your position or your status. Making much of children, inviting them into your world is a completely selfless endeavor. So now when we look at this passage, we've got to ask ourselves this question. Does Jesus mean that welcoming children is a picture of the kingdom? Or does he mean that the way children receive the kingdom is a picture of the kingdom? I I believe it's both. Children are used in this example both as recipients as well as examples of the kingdom. In other words, if you receive the unworthy, those with no honor, with no status, with no power, you have received the kingdom. And if you yourself receive the kingdom with the posture, characteristics, and attitude of a child, then you have received and entered the kingdom. Well, what does entering the kingdom mean? A very smart man gave us a definition of the kingdom last week. The kingdom of God is the Father's reign, inaugurated by the Son's obedience, administered through the power of the Spirit, and furthered through the church's obedience. That's what Rick taught on last week. A very smart man came to Jesus asking questions about the kingdom of God. He was a high priest. His name was Nicodemus. And in John 3, Jesus answered him saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Again, there's this understanding that there is something about understanding, receiving, and entering the kingdom that is childlike in our posture with regards to entering. Nicodemus is asking, how how do we be born again? And Jesus is saying, it's the attitude of a child that you need to be fortified with in order to be able to receive and enter the kingdom. What is the kingdom? It's not a truncated view of the golden ticket. I've prayed a prayer so that when I die, I'll go to heaven. It means the experiential rule and reign of Jesus in and through your life. It means the submission to Jesus, understanding that your life is no longer your own, and the best way to not lose your life is to lose it in service to Jesus. It's an invitation to live in this world for the good of this world, but not being shaped by the culture of this world. It is the desire for us to live the way that we were designed, to live purposefully, to live peacefully, and to live joyfully in union with God. And when we think of children, this is one of the key characteristics that we are reminded of. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And when we think of the kingdom, many of us don't think of joy as kind of the centering, um, the, the hub around which all of the centers. But ultimately, what Jesus came to do was to invite us into a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. Jesus speaks about this in many parables. Uh, when he says, there was a man who found this pearl of great price, and he sold everything that he had to receive this, and he had great joy. There was a man who found treasure, and there was great joy. And I think for a lot of us, we don't necessarily associate the kingdom of God with joy. We're associated with a sense of obedience, which it is. We're associated with a sense of purpose, which it is. 
But ultimately, I don't think a lot of us recognize that we are fully human. The, the most human we could be prior to the fall of man when we submit ourselves to the kingdom of God. The other traits that we associate with children are innocence and simplicity. Now, innocence and simplicity are a little different. Uh, we tend to think of children as innocent and pure and unstained. Now, while it's true that children often do things that are naughty, unacceptable, dangerous, a lot of times they do this out of ignorance. My daughter, when she was four or five years old, we found this in her bed. Those are steak knives. That's a box. And we asked her what that was, and she said she was making a jail for her dolls. So, there was no evil intent there. She wasn't trying to harm anyone. There wasn't a sense in which, let me see how, how much I could hurt. Karen just came and showed me this. And I said to her, and I'm glad we did, we have to take a picture of this. No one is going to believe us, you know. <laughs> there, are, there are times where, where, where we do things and we're not actually stepping out in awe and, and saying, I'm going to do something that I know is wrong and dangerous. There was another time where we found Aaron like this. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? She grabbed the ladder, opened uh, uh, opened the ladder because she was picking fruit from the tree. There is no fruit on that tree, just, <laughs> just so you know. And there's a sense in which there's a, there's a simplicity when it comes to children. And a lot of us think that children are not tainted with the idea of original sin. But most of us, especially parents, will know that original sin is not something that, it is, that is taught Original sin is something that is inherited. I was sitting on the beach with a friend of mine, and I was watching his son, and um, he was about six years old, and his brother was about three years old, and his brother stood on his boogie board. And I saw him, as we were sitting down there, and I was looking at him, and I'm like, I wonder what's going to happen here. And so as he was there, he, he literally, he did this. He looked this way. He looked that way. He thought no one could see him. He grabbed the leash of the boogie board and yanked it. His little brother went flying face first into the sand. So we call him over and we say, hey, Rory, what? Oops. Anyway, he said, he's not here. He said, hey, what happened there? Nothing. Bro, I saw the whole thing. And he went like this. <laughs> Children are not welcomed into the kingdom because they have not committed sin. Children are welcomed into the kingdom because there are postures and attitudes that enables them to be more open and receptive to the kingdom. What are some of those postures and attitudes that we as adults can inculcate into our lives? I think the first one is the embracing of our powerlessness. No one is intimidated or afraid of a child. If you are, there's probably something wrong. But we're not talking about creepy horror movies now. You know, we're not, we're not talking about Chucky or those kinds of things. We're, we're actually saying not, not, none of us 
are intimidated or afraid of a child. Because just like they can't do anything for us, they also can't do anything to us. So we're not afraid. In fact, infants instinctually realize that they are powerless, that they cannot provide for themselves, they cannot take care of themselves. That's why they cry. They cry because they realize that when they cry, someone is going to help them. And it's only when we recognize that we have no innate power to solve our deep spiritual problem, the only way we can is responding by faith to the good news of the kingdom. We have to recognize our powerlessness. Now, this is where the context of the scripture matters because Jesus, immediately before this, is talking about a man who doesn't believe he's powerless. He's talking about a Pharisee who walks into the temple and says, I am so glad that I am not like this man. I'm so glad that I perform all these legalistic duties, and I'm so glad that because of that, I'm acceptable to God. Whereas the tax collector beats his chest and says, have mercy on me, O God. It is the tax collector that realizes there's a litany of reasons why he should not be acceptable, and knows the only reason that he's acceptable is because the mercy and love and grace of his God that grants him access. Paul helps us understand this when he writes the letter to the Romans, and he says this, For while we were still weak or powerless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now this is important. It doesn't say, but God showed that he completed a legal transaction, it says that God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, there was a transaction that was completed in the sense that a penalty needed to be paid, but the emphasis and purpose of that sacrifice was Jesus's and God the Father's love for his children. We have to understand the bad news that we are more flawed than we realize, more powerless than we could have imagined in order to live in the joy of the good news, which is the fact that we are more loved and empowered than we could ever dream. God's power, Paul tells us, is perfected in our weakness. If we boast, let's boast in our weakness. Why? So that the power of God may rest on us. The second thing I've taken from this with regards to kids is kids embrace their powerlessness, but they also help us to grow in trust and forgiveness. Children are some of the most trusting and forgiving human beings you will ever come across, sometimes awkwardly so. I remember we had a a child in our home for a brief time, and because he was in our home and had been in various foster situations, um, he had no stranger danger. He was way too trusting, Um, and we were out in in the front yard, um, and there was a man that was going on a walk, and Roki just followed him, and, you know, the man took him by the hand and brought him back to us, thank goodness, and and there's a sense in which children can be too trusting. Um, it's, It's a little awkward. But there's a, there's a deep joy in being able to see the kind of trust that a child has in an adult. How many parents have had your child or son or daughter launch themselves into your arms? There's, there's this deep sense of trust. They jump off the table into your arms. They haven't experienced the idea of being let down. 
They're too young to calculate the consequences of what they're about to do. And the thoughts that are running through their minds is, why would this person harm me? Why should I not trust this person? What's the worst that can happen? Those are not thoughts that we as adults tend to have. We, we tend to have the exact opposite. Why should I trust you? This person is probably going to harm me. There's a lot that can happen. But I want to ask us, who is it that God is calling us to trust? He's saying, trust me. Even through the context of worship, trust me, the purest self-giving expression of love that you will ever know, the one that pursues, the one that heals, the one that forgives, the one that walks with you, and the one that conquered death. Trust me. Now, trust and forgiveness need to be applied with wisdom. There's this truth and tension when it comes to children in the Bible and the way in which we are taught to be like them and not like them. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, brothers and sisters, don't be like children in the way in which you think. Well, be babies when it comes to evil, but be adults in your thinking. He also, he also tells us not to be like children being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And Jesus also says, beware that you don't lead children astray. So there's this responsibility that we have to access the power that Jesus has given us through the Spirit to be able to forgive, to be able to trust, and to be able to be wise in this process. We are commanded to forgive. Now, I can't go into that. Sean did a great job when he, when he spoke about forgiveness. However, we need Jesus' wisdom to be able to walk out the consequences of forgiving relationally. Now, we are commanded to forgive one another. Now, regret is something that you can only experience through age or wisdom. Those people who say, I have no regrets, generally haven't lived long enough. And, and regret is not a bad thing. Regret should lead us to repentance, not shame. Regret helps us understand that there are certain things that we could have done better. Now, let me say this about trust and forgiveness. You will never regret forgiving someone. You may regret what happened. You may regret actually giving that person a position of trust in your life. But forgiving someone you will never regret. Why? Because it is the very nature, it's the currency of the gospel. Repentance, forgiveness, grace, and mercy is something that children so easily offer. It is something that Jesus wants to teach us through his spirit how to offer those that have harmed us. We may regret trusting someone, but we will never regret forgiving someone. Thirdly, we need to develop the kind of vulnerability and resilience that children have. I'm sure a lot of you have seen this, but what are the three hardest things to say? I was wrong. I need help. And Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> Worcestershire sauce. Now those, those things are all hard to say, right? How many of you have been in the presence of a child where he so easily says, Mommy, I need you. Mom, I love you. Mom, I'm scared. I'm hurt. These are things that children say when they're young, but the older they get, the less they say them because it changes the power dynamic. 
And it's one of the things that I believe God is calling us into. Asking for help means admitting that we can't do this. Now, my wife reminds me that when I ask her for help, I'm not actually making that statement. So when I ask her for help with a project, Karen says that really what I want is an audience and a lackey, you know. <laughs> so I want her to see how amazing I am by doing this thing, but I also want someone to run and fetch this tool and run and fetch that. That's not the kind of help we're, we're talking about. She's on, that, that's not help. I'm not helping you. I'm just, I'm just a member of the audience here. When we come to God and we say, or, or his family, when we come and we say, I need help, we're actually admitting something. We're saying that in this context, I'm powerless. I, I need help. I need you to help me with this. And children are so easy, are so easily say this. I need help. Those, those of you that are raising kids now, you'll find this begin to shift. Where their independence begins to grow, which is important. It does need to grow. And then they shift from needing help with everything to not wanting help with anything. And the problem is, I believe the Spirit of God is, is, is saying to us this morning, you need my help. You need the help of your brothers and sisters. Think of when a child raises his or her hands. A child sits in and goes like that. What does it elicit in you? Is your immediate thought, oh God, what a weak human being. Is that, is that what you think? No. You know, yeah. Val says there's a real problem if it does. When, when a child it looks up at you like this with their arms raised, this, your heart just opens. The first thing you want to do is, is pick that child up. There, there's this sense of like your attention and affection is focused on this child. There's, there's, there's something that pulls deep within our souls. And when we raise our hands towards Jesus, we will, Jesus is not going to look at us and say, what is the matter with you? We will never be ghosted or rebuffed. We'll never be ignored. There's never going to be a fake excuse about why I couldn't be there or help you. I remember I was telling my girls one of the, the most embarrassing moments I've had when it comes to ghosting was uh, I was in my kitchen. And um, those of you that, that know my home, like if you're at the front door, you can see straight into my kitchen. And the phone rang, and I looked at the phone, and I put it down, and I carried on doing what I was doing, but this person was at the front door, because the doorbell wasn't working, trying to call me, and eventually I got a text saying, WTH, I'm outside, you know? <laughs> Thankfully, this was a good friend, and they weren't wounded or harmed, but I think the point that I'm trying to make is all of us have experienced a sense of being shunned, a sense of being ignored. Many of us have actually experienced the sense of our hands are raised and no one has helped us or shamed us. And what I can say is this, this will never happen if you raise your hands to Jesus. Jesus says that he's come like a doctor to those that are sick. When you go to the doctor, is he frustrated with you because you're sick? No, it's his job. It's her job to look at you and thank you that you've come in here. I, it is my job, it is my joy to help you. Thomas Goodwin says this, It is Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory. And they are increased and enlarged by His showing grace and mercy in pardoning, 
relieving and comforting his members on earth. I want you to sit and think about this. How many of you in your own minds feel like you're tolerated by God? How many of you, when you come to God with repentance, with pain, with shame, feel like God has welcomed you into his presence and that he enjoys being with you in that? Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to heal you from those things. The heart of Jesus is that we will never, ever be refused. But equally, we will never be tolerated. We're not going to sit there like the waiting room and the doctor and just be next. No, there is this heart of love and affection that pours out to us regardless of what we've done. This will never change. It doesn't matter how faithful or faithless you've been, how obedient or disobedient you've been, how attractive or revolting you may feel in that moment. That will never change. Children are also remarkably resilient. They have an amazing ability to recover from hurt, both physical and emotional. Now, we know that what a child experiences in their early life while young has a massively shaping effect on them. And that's why we need to protect children. We also need to protect children from themselves and bad decisions that they may make in terms of knives and beds and things like that. We also have a very critical role in the context of our body and also if you are parents. And that is to help them to be vulnerable and resilient at the same time. I know you can do this. I'm right here. This may not be easy. This may not work out the way that you expect it to work out. But I'm right here with you. One of the best ways that we can build resiliency within ourselves and within the people that we have the privilege of being in community with, and if you're a parent, is to help accept responsibility for our errors, sins, and poor decisions. And having accepted responsibility for those, take them to Jesus. Lift our hands up and say, I need help with this. It's not the deflection of those poor decisions or sins. It's not the blaming of those poor decisions or sins. It's the accepting of responsibility and in the midst of that, being vulnerable enough to say, I need help with this. We tend, within the context of this nation and other nations as well, we tend to operate in or enable what I call hyperfragility, which is walking around in a constant state of woundedness. Now, many of us are wounded and need to pay attention to that, the solution to that is not what I call posturing potency. I'm okay, nothing can hurt me, and I'm fine. No, it is the sense of vulnerability with resilience that we can only build when we constantly are raising hands to Jesus saying, please help me. Please help me to do this. I'm not talking about a Spartan kind of resilience, although there's something about that that I really like. Part of it is my roots, you know, being Greek where the Spartans would take a baby and the elders would look at it and see if the baby is acceptable and then they would bathe it in wine um, because if you bathe the baby in wine, it would be, have the same kind of effect of, of like forming steel. You know, you, you make it harder, right? I mean, I'm, I'm getting a little too excited about this. My wife's a little worried. We did not bathe our babies in wine, you know, Let's move on. I'm not talking about that kind of external resilience. I'm talking about a deep 
internal resilience. And the Bible is clear about how to build a biblical in, uh, resilience. Because Paul tells the Galatian church, how do you build biblical resilience? It's quite simple. Each man is to carry his own load, but we are to bear one another's burdens. There is a load that you are designed to carry. Paul tells the Galatian church, each man is to carry his own load. It's like a backpack. It's that which was assigned to you. You don't ask for help with your backpack, but we are to bear one another's burdens. Where there is something that only two people can carry, help one another with those burdens. That's what help builds resiliency. Now, the thing is, this also has to inform the way in which we respond to other people. He's not, Jesus is not using kids as a prop. That's why he got so upset with the disciples. He's not just using them to show the adults how they are to behave. He, he holds them. He hugs them. He blesses them. There's a deep sense of intimacy. If we have received and entered into the kingdom, we have similar responsibilities in the way in which we interact with each other. He corrects those that want to continue the pattern of unworthiness based on how significant you are based on the status that you have and based on the power that you hold. Now look, just like Jesus, most of us were brought, just like this situation, most of us were brought to Jesus. Whether a parent brought us, whether a friend introduced us, most of us came because someone brought us to Jesus the way their parents brought them to Him. We need to be the kind of people that look for these opportunities to bring people to Jesus, to include people to teach people, to engage with people, and to just simply be with people. Band, you can come up. There's an invitation this morning, and the invitation started even before we were at our pre-gathering prayer. There's an invitation that, that God is calling us to rest in the fact that we are His children. Now, I have to be honest, there's something both offensive and comforting about being called a child. And I've realized that it's the possessive prefix that actually affects the way you hear that word. If someone says, don't be a child, well, that's offensive. You are like a child is offensive, especially to us as adults. But if someone says, you are my child, that changes the whole thing. The word hasn't changed. What it, re what it represents hasn't changed. It's that possessive prefix where God is saying, you're not that child. You are my child. You belong to me. John 1, chapter 3, sorry, 1 John 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Lord has bestowed upon us, the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called subjects in the kingdom, that we should be called soldiers in the army, that we should be called what? Children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. We are His children. As a seeker this morning, access is offered to you. Access is offered to His affection, His attention, His protection, His forgiveness, His provision. We know that one of our greatest fears is that we'll be rejected when we ask for help, when we're vulnerable, when we're weak, when we've failed or been unfaithful. This will never happen, not just because that's my experience, but because Scripture tells us this will never happen, because what we sang of this morning reminds us that this will never happen, 
And because God himself says, this will never happen. I will never leave you. My affection to you is not based on your behavior. My love towards you is not based on whether you've jumped through these religious hoops. It remains firm. He is our Father, and He invites us to be the center of attention. And just like Jesus scolded the disciples, He is scolding your enemies of shame and sin and guilt that are saying, why should you welcome Him? Why should you welcome her? Just like Jesus silenced the disciples and said, let them come, those shouts of sin or shame or guilt or fear or hurt or pain are being silenced through the Spirit. Maybe some of us haven't had this experience of feeling welcomed or safe or secure. Maybe this has shaped the way that we view Jesus, His church, yourself. Maybe you're asking the question, would someone stop everything they're doing and focus their attention and affection on me? Yes, He has for every single one of us. Even this morning, there are those that need to experience that sense of, yes, this morning, I felt the attention and affection of the Father in a way I've not felt this before. This can happen even right now as we sit, bathe ourselves in the Spirit and the Word. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm afraid to be vulnerable because I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'm ashamed of how long it's been since I actually raised my hands to Jesus saying, help. Raise your hands. He will lift you up. It is His joy to be with you. I've been hurt, wounded. I've tried this before, and I doubt that God has been present in the moments of difficulty or pain or trial. Raise your hands to Him. Raise your hands to Him. I believe I have everything under control, and I don't need Him. That's just hiding. Because in the deep, dark place, after you've postured with everyone else in your world, you know that you're just like that young child that says, Jesus, I need help. You're so afraid of actually saying that because of what you've experienced. Let's pray. Our Father, my Father, what an amazing privilege to call you Father. What an even greater privilege to know that I am your child. God, how freeing it is to know that it's not about what I do. It's not about my performance. It is about the sacrifice of Jesus that made me acceptable. I've been adopted into a family of love and affection. And God, I want to pray. As we just allow the Spirit to move in our hearts, I want to pray for your spirit of adoption to rest upon us, bring freedom, bring healing bring restoration, bring repentance. Spirit of God, bring what only you can bring. Excellent, Nick. Thank you so much, brother. Coming as children into the kingdom. And today, uh, brothers and sisters, the Lord has set a table for us as his children. And I love what the psalmist says in the presence of our enemies. A table where we can come and 
once again find uh, the strength of the covenant that he has secured by his own life, the pouring out of his own blood. And as you come to the table today, I want to encourage you to know that you are coming greatly loved in spite of yourself, in spite of your own weaknesses. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to cleanse us again right now of sin, even of the sin that we commit that we're not conscious we're committing because we are still living in a fallen world and the flesh is still at work in us at times. Lord, heal us. Forgive us, cleanse us, we pray in Jesus' name. So I want to invite you to the table. Please go to, they're around the room in various places, and then take it to your seat, and we'll all eat and drink together in the presence of the Lord. Yes, thank you, Lord. If you're able, why don't you stand, please? We stand in your presence today, Father, fully secure in the love of God. We are not ashamed to raise our faces because we know we are clothed in Christ's righteousness and not our own. And we're so thankful for that today. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of living for you in this day. This bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that was given for us consciously, willingly. He made a choice to give himself for you and for me. If you're here today and you are not in Christ, you need to know that it's true. He made a decision to give himself for you. What you were due, he took on himself in his body. And we who believe understand that, and we're thankful. Let's, let's eat this together. Thank you, Lord. And on the night he was betrayed, he took the cup, and he said, This is my blood, which is given for you for the forgiveness or remission of sin. He says, as often as you drink it, remember me. We thank you, Lord, today for this cup. It is eternal in its ability to cleanse. It's eternal, Lord, in its power and its sufficiency, and we're thankful for that. And we come again today to the cross of Christ in faith and receive its full benefit and its grace. We love you so much, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Let's drink together. Amen. What a good God. Amen. So faithful. We love you guys. God bless you today. If you do need prayer, there will be folks available to pray for you over here on the side of the room. If you do need prayer for anything at all, please come. If not, have a great day. Wonderful week. Go in the grace of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.